gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Karazarov Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Jonathan Kent may have returned from the dead, and Superboy loses a friend in this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Everybody and welcome to episode 89 of Superman in the Bronze Age. I am Superman's pal Charlie Niemeyer, and today I am joined by my friend, a man who needs no introduction. So after a couple of promos, we'll be right back, and we'll talk about Action Comics 5. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this is my buddy. Well, my buddy. Wow, I had that. My buddy. <laughs> my buddy. Whatever I do, he does, or whatever the song was. <laughs> And Superman apologist, Michael V. Bailey. According, uh, according to Rob Kelly, I, uh, I go beyond being a Superman apologist because I defended Superman 4. Apparently that puts, <laughs> you, that puts you in like a different echelon of Superman apologist. Like, like you don't just apologize for Superman, you defend Superman 4. <laughs> You're a Superman defender. Yes. Actually, but, that sounds like a superhero name too. <laughs> Superman Defender. That would have been a great Atari mashup. That would. Yes. Where instead of being a ship, you're Superman, and you're hitting people with you're hitting the uh, the, the ships and stuff with your heat vision. Oh, see. Oh, someone's got to get on that like right now. Yeah, that's going to be an iOS game. Yes. And now that you have an iPhone, you could play it. No, I can't. I have an iPhone three. Oh, so never mind. I can't do anything. Well, you can you can look at it in the app store and just wish. <laughs> like next year when I when we update the phones and we'll probably get the iPhone four hopefully maybe the five if we have the money but definitely the four because they're going to be really cheap. Oh, you're just going to skip right over the three S. Uh, I have or a three G or whatever it was. Oh, I, you, oh, okay. Yeah, I, okay. I, that's all they have anymore. But you know when the phone's a dollar. <laughs> Yeah, you can't like you can't literally a dollar. We paid like thirteen dollars for two iPhones. Wow! So, we, we, I mean, you're seven years late, but yeah, it's really cool. 
Wow. <laughs> I feel chastised. <laughs> Welcome to my show. <laughs> well, but, um, I remember. Yes. <laughs> that's right. And since he's been here, we don't have to go through all the... I won't ask you to reiterate your favorite, your first encounter with Superman. Because if you want to hear that, you just go back to episode where we talked about uh, Superman number 264. Just imagining this like poorly dubbed in edit of which episode number. <laughs> it was episode 17. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, this episode is basically part uh we're going to I'm going to call this part 3 of a kind of four-part crossover event between this show and Michael's Views from the Long Box, where we spent two episodes t- uh, looking at the book Superman from the 30s to the 80s as part of his Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend series. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened, dude. I, I really feel bad that, that, that it came out the way it came out when you say it, because I, I just don't understand. <sighs> I know. When I do it, it sounds like a freaking chipmunk. So, And when you do it, it, it sounds like God. So I don't know. I have the James Conacheck <laughs> Superman intro thing. Very good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's got to be Georgia. I don't know. It's this Oklahoma air just. Well, your <sighs> land is very flat. You know, I, I yeah, I've ridden yeah. through Oklahoma, and it was very. Fl- I just remember it being very flat, which is yeah. why you guys yeah. are in Tornado Alley, I guess. Yeah, and the Bible Belt. Yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, but anyway, so the last two stories of that book uh, is actually a one two-part story. Um, and because they take place in the Bronze Age, and I was going to cover them anyway, we thought it would be kind of cool to have Mike come over to this show and we'll cover them in a little bit more detail than we covered the whole 30s to the 80s book. So, Well, let's be fair. Let's be fair. We spent one episode talking about the 40s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> We spent about an hour, hour and a half, give or take the edits, talking about the 40s. We spent about an hour, hour and a half talking about 50s, 60s, 70s. And I think we talked about 80s without actually getting into the stories. Yeah, we were kind of vague because we we knew we were doing this crossover, which is really cool and kind of... The reason why I like that we're doing this is that it does it kind of makes us feel like the comics we talk about, where, you know, it starts off in one show and ends in another. And that that just... uh, It just... It just feels right, and it's nice to do it once where it's where I'm not do, having to take care of editing both shows. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> well, and you're not by yourself. But to be fair, yeah, yes, your Phantom Zone true. coverage was excellent, sir. Oh well, thank you very much. And I got to meet you in Georgia, which was cool. Very much so. In fact, yes. we ate at that place just. My wife and I ate at that place just last night while we were getting ready to do our uh, Thanksgiving shopping. Oh, fun! So Thanksgiving <laughs> shopping, and you do all the trim fixings, don't you? The turkey and the oh yeah, the, Rachel yeah. goes all out. She really does. We ought to have you guys come out and do that at our house. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would help. Angie would help. <laughs> she she makes a good. Well, actually, she does a lot of the cooking. She does all our cooking too. But yeah, she she uh, uh, unless Rachel's one of those that's like get out of the kitchen i'm in charge i don't know uh, no rachel will take all help 
Um, oh, okay, as a matter cool. of fact, she, she, she does not shy away from, and especially like this year, we're really having to, uh, I'm going to be having to help her a little more than I do since she's getting over the accident and we don't know exactly everything she's going to be able to do. We've scaled back a lot of what she normally does because Rachel usually spends about five days cooking. And then right after dinner, right before here in Atlanta, they have, uh, at one of the big malls, they do a Christmas tree lighting every year. And it's like an hour-long special on TV. Right around the time that starts at 7 is when she's passed out on the couch. <laughs> awesome. That's after you've eaten? That's after we've eaten, yes. Okay. Oh, it's just, the, it's just that stuff in the turkey. Tryptophan. Yes, that's the stuff. Wow. Your house must smell like heaven. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And, and especially up. since she, like this next you know, week. we brine the bird overnight. Uh, and it's a fresh bird, so you've got, and she's got all the aromatics in there, and it's the pumpkin pie, and it's the Senator Russell's, you know, sweet potato stuff, and it's the mac and cheese, and it's just, it's, And then you have to sit down and have a Lunchables smelling all that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sit over here and eat my Hot Pocket. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. I can't imagine, yeah. Well, I guess we should point out that we're recording. Crazy idea before we go on. Uh-huh. One year, we should plan a big everyone comes visit, all like the <laughs> Superman podcasters, and we all have Thanksgiving dinner together. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> and let Rachel and Angie and I'm sure some of the other wives would help. Well, probably some of us guys, too, because we're like that. We're in an equal opportunity kind of thing. Because, I mean, seriously, what are the rest of us going to do? Throw, go out and throw a football? I don't yeah. think so. so. <laughs> we, we, can, we, can, we can try. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that, I, I mean, we're, we're not like uncoordinated, well, you know, no. invalids. I mean, we could <laughs> probably throw a football we're all... around. But, but let's face it. I'd be like, hey, guys, let's watch some George Reeves Adventures of Superman. And there that would you be go. it. There you go. <laughs> Pop in some DVDs. We could watch some. Yeah, the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more of what we would do than, yeah. I'll keep track of the football games on my phone, but yeah. But See, I like football, that, so I'd, I'd be oh, willing okay. to watch football. Okay, but that would be cool. Oh, I don't, wow, that could, that'd be so cool. Anyway, <clears throat> man, you threw me off. Now I'm thinking about that. I don't know if record today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see how we can make this happen. <laughs> I'm going to go out on the Facebook thing right now and say, hey, guys, let's do this. Next year, Michael's house. Let's go. And, yeah, you and Rachel. Poor Rachel. Anyway, I should point out that we are recording this literally the week before Thanksgiving. So we've got turkey on the brains right now. So if this was a couple weeks later, Michael would be inviting everyone over for Christmas. So, you know. (laughs) Uh, But before we get into our coverage this week, um, we'll be right back. We'll place a couple promos possibly one or two that might feature this guy next, I say next to me, metaphorically next to me, and we'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. 
the magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics, and the 90s saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey. I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at, 75, at 75, the celebration, celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. 
New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast dot com. Is it dot com on there? No, 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 it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back, and we're starting off with Action Comics number 507. Now, this issue had a cover date of May 1980, an on-sale date of February 25th, 1980, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, which I have not given enough credit to on this show, and I apologize for that. It has a cover price of 40 cents, all new. And the title of this first issue is The Miraculous Return of Jonathan Kent. We start off with the cover of Superman... Basically digging into the ground, uh, we see Martha Kent's headstone, and he's wondering why Pa Kent's grave is gone, because Pa Kent is actually standing right behind him, saying, I'm still alive, son, and standing right behind you, in an awesome purple suit. I've raided Bruce Banner's closet. Uh, yes, this was the late 70s, early 80s thing of wearing a turtleneck and a, a suit. sport coat, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> And it's purple, so if he hulks out, no problem. Um, well, since you're here, what do you think of the cover? Uh, I I think uh, Andy and I talked about Andy Leyland and I talked about this in a recent episode of Views. Ross Andrew does not get enough credit mm. as a as a Superman artist because he he didn't do a whole he didn't do too many of the interiors, but mm. his covers are usually gold. And this is no exception. You have Superman digging into the ground. You have Jonathan Kent right behind him. I mean, this is this is like everything you you would want in that. Oh, I have to read this right now because what's going on? Now, oh, yeah. I don't know what's going on in the distance. I don't know what runway. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if the Kents are buried near Smallville Municipal Airport or. Or whatever, or what the heck that is. I guess that's another tombstone over, like, right behind the, the T and the I in action. But what yeah, is I with that so. road? <laughs> I I don't... I, I, well, only thing I can figure is, is this is a um, a floating graves, uh, graveyard. And I say graveyard, but it's actually a cemetery. And that's just, you know, when you get high enough and the, 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 gra- the ground just looks like giant squares from all the farms. Okay. It's the only thing I and they just colored it wrong because they didn't know either. Hmm. Um, but in real life, I have no clue. <laughs> now I know um, what's uh, Andrew had that uh, slight problem with perspective. Yes. So maybe that is something that is a perspective problem. I don't know. But he makes up for it. I mean, Superman's cape, especially the way it's all bunched up around his neck. 
I mean, that looks like cloth. That looks like... Actually, you know what it kind of looks like? It looks like he's got that plastic ring in it that the Superpowers figure had. <laughs> yes, it kit. does. Yes. Yes. Maybe that's actually why I like it so much, because this looks like the superpowers figure. <laughs> I actually have a note about there's a couple spots where uh, we see that in the story, too. But yes, actually, and it's short enough, because that cape was kind of short on that toy. Yeah, the only disappointing thing about that toy, I, even when I was like eight and, you know, like 10 years old or nine years old when I got it, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's just like, man, that cape needs to be longer. Yeah, I mean, it's not as short as the uh, handkerchief that he used to wear in uh, the when Jim Mooney was doing the Supergirls title and <laughs> Superman would show up. And every time Superman stands in a certain spot, he always has to smile, have his hands on his hips, and there's some breeze coming somewhere blowing that damn cape. <laughs> and so, And for some reason, he always drew it like that thing can't go down halfway down his back. I don't know. Yeah. Jim Mooney's a good artist. Oh, Just, yeah, especially his just, Superboy stuff on the... Uh, television yes book. yes i i it, it's like there's this really marked improvement which is crazy because it's like 30 years like 40 years later but yes i i love that stuff um i even like it i like his spider-man stuff penciling and inking mm-hmm. but uh i don't and, and when it was just Supergirl or Supergirl story that was fine it was for some reason i just didn't like his superman i don't know but then again that that could just be me um to to Go back to the cover. I like it, too. <laughs> uh, you are very right. He, basically, he kind of, I don't want to say he picked up right after. No, because, excuse me, because Bob Oxner did a bunch of covers in between Cardi and Andrew. But once Andrew came on, he did the covers for both books for a long time. Yes. We're talking, I mean, he had to have started in like 76, 77, and he w- pretty much did all the covers up until like 82, 83, probably. So, yeah, it's, he d- he did it for a long, he, he is, like you said, he doesn't get enough credit, but he is as important to the, uh, the image of Superman as almost anybody else, because it's the cover you're going to see the most. Absolutely, I mean, it's, a th- it's the thing that draws you in. And this was a I mean, time period where they would have, you know, different people doing the covers as opposed to the interior work because of newsstand distribution. You were trying to grab people just by the cover alone. Exactly. So this is the era where you'd have, Neil, well, Neil Adams did some covers on some books for a little bit. He came back for just a little bit of time at DC. But yes, um, Andrew and Giordano were the main Superman book cover artists at this point. And yeah, Kurt Swan's is, is awesome. I know some people, I'm not going to say don't like him. Uh, th- there's a mixed thing, and this was during one of his kind of declines in his art quality. But you had to open the book in order to look at Kurt Swan art. Yes. This is the uh, Andrew's art is what had to get you to actually pick up the book to open it in the first place. So it's very important. And that purple suit is very snazzy. And I just made up a word because I meant to say snazzy. Anyway, the, <laughs> the title of this story is The Miraculous Return of Jonathan Kent, as I mentioned earlier. It was written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sheramonte. I think is, that's how I've been saying it. Letterer was Milt Snappen. Colorist was Gene D'Angelo, and the editor 
was Julius Schwartz, and Superman, as we all know, was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. After signing off on another episode of the 6 o'clock news, Clark plans to head out for some extra patrol time due to the current upswing in crime. But Lana stops him and invites him out for dinner at Marcel's. This time she won't take no for an answer either, as she has a surprise guest waiting to join them. So after a short taxi ride, they arrive at the restaurant and Clark is so uninterested that he doesn't even use his vision powers to spoil the surprise. And what a surprise it is when they arrive at the table only to be greeted by Clark's foster father, Jonathan Kent. Now, of course, we all know that this is impossible because both of the Kents died shortly after Clark graduated from high school, which we witness once again in a flashback. But Jonathan talks as if he's been alive all this time, and superhearing reveals that Lana's pulse indicates that she truly believes that this is really Jonathan Kent, even though she stood next to Clark at the funeral. Meanwhile, several blocks away, a couple... I'm sorry, a rich couple, pass a panhandler and refuse to help him out, so he tells them to give him all their stuff and shouts, Please! Which somehow causes all their items to fly toward the panhandler. So he puts it all in a bag, and while the couple call the police. And I added an and, so let me try that again. So he puts it all in a bag while the couple call the police. Meanwhile, back at the restaurant, Clark tries to expose the fake Kent by recalling the time that Clark and Lana brought home an injured rabbit, figuring no one would have researched something so obscure. But Jonathan remembers this event after a little bit of thinking, including the fact that what they thought was a male rabbit was actually a female and ready to give birth. While Clark chokes on his water at a nearby 24-hour-a-day bank, which we just call a all-day, all-night bank, um, a familiar panhandler is thrown out by a bank guard for panhandling in the bank. Upset, he orders the bank to give him all its money and again shouts, please. Again, back at the restaurant, Clark uses his microscopic vision on Jonathan's glass only to see the real Jonathan Kent's fingerprints. Just then, a commotion outside draws the attention of several of the other patrons of the restaurant. And while Clark tries to come up with an excuse to slip away, Jonathan complains that his ulcer is acting up, but he's out of pills. Since he had his prescription filled at the drugstore down the street the last time he was in Metropolis, he asks Clark to go back or to go pick up a refill. As Clark heads out, he finds that the prescription is authentic and originally filled in Smallville about 20 years ago. Back in the old days, even after his ulcer cleared up, Pa Kent always, clary- claried- always carried his empty pill bottle in case Clark needed an excuse to change to Superboy. Outside, Clark changes to Superman and flies off, thinking about how he can prove once and for all that Jonathan Kent is dead. But first, he's got to deal with the commotion, which happens to be our favorite panhandler surrounded by cash with more flying out of the bank to him. Superman lands, and after the panhandler... Panhandler identifies himself as Starshine. Uh, you are my Starshine. Anyway, <clears throat> I know, isn't that a great name? Uh, he plans to take, out, take the panhandler to a police station, but just as they're about to take off, Super, uh, Starshine tells the Man of Steel to buzz off and take a slow boat to China. After shouting, please, Superman drops Starshine, flies west at super speed, and lands on a sailing vessel about 200 miles off the coast of China. Assuming he won't be able to leave the boat until it reaches the shore, he uses his super breath to push the boat to its destination, at which point he takes off and heads back to Metropolis. This all happened very, very fast, apparently, because back at the bank, the guards tell Superman that Starshine 
sent the money back into the bank, then muttered something under his breath and disappeared. On the plus side, Lana and the cameraman showed up to get the story, which means that the old man didn't have to explain what took Clark so long to get back to the restaurant. With no sign of him at the restaurant, Superman flies off to Smallville to prove to himself that Jonathan Kent can't be alive. But after switching to Clark and heading to the Smallville Cemetery, he sees that only Martha Kent has a gravesite there, with the plot next to her still empty and the airport runway right behind their graves. Next, he heads over to 321 Maple Street, where he grew up as a child, and to check on the old house, as Chief Parker has been taking care of the place since his retirement. But instead of Parker's stuff being in the house, Clark instead sees Pa Kent's stuff, including letters written by him dating back a decade, including information that he could only have included during his Superman years, including emergency JLA meetings. Well, he can't figure out how or why... All he can conclude is that Jonathan Kent really is alive, well, and still living in Smallville. Meanwhile, back in Metropolis, Jonathan is about to fall victim to a couple of mugglers. Mugglers? Did I just say mugglers? Juggling juggling muggers. It's it's the wave of the future. (laughs) Can you imagine being accosted by juggling muggers? That's... Anyway. Hey, now, give us your money. Well, how are you going to grab it? Oh, just throw it in, and I'll just juggle it and walk away. (laughs) Anyway. Jonathan is about to fall victim to a couple of muggers. When Superman shows up, juggles the muggers, as we just alluded to, then tosses them out into the street where they're spotted by a passing police cruiser. While the muggers are arrested, Superman takes Jonathan back to his apartment and finally allows himself to enjoy the fact that Jonathan is back and that they are together once again. At that very moment, just outside the city limits, Starshine, fed up by all the adults hassling the under-30 crowd, orders everyone over the age of 30 to get out of the city and stay out, and then shouts, Please. And there you have it, reader. A young man who possesses the extraordinary power to have his every command obeyed, and an elderly man who inexplicably seems to have defied death, especially since I said inexplicably correct on the first try. Two incredible puzzles with one unimaginable answer. Be here next issue four, The Secret World of Jonathan Kent. And while I recover from all this talking, and Mike works on unmuting his microphone, here are a couple of promos. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, Podcast Obsessed, got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, Monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com.
he joined the crusade. He helped rule the night. He fought for justice. He wore short pants. Okay, so Robin didn't always have the best fashion sense. But there's no way that he should be ignored, ridiculed, or even derided. He's been an important part of Batman's history for nearly 75 years. And that's why I've decided to give him his due in Taking Flight. Presented by the Batman Universe, Taking Flight is a podcast dedicated to all incarnations of the Boy Wonder. And every episode, I take a look at the adventures of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, and all the others who have worn the red, green, and gold at the side of the Cape Crusader. New episodes appear every two weeks at the Batman Universe, which can be found at thebatmanuniverse.net. So join me, Tom Panneries, as I put the spotlight on the greatest sidekick in comicdom. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. And we're back. And uh, I figure since you're the guest, uh, Mike, you start off with your notes. The uh, this is one of my favorite stories from this era. Uh, mm-hmm. I first read it actually when I got my copy of Superman from the 30s to the 80s. Hey, uh, what a coincidence! Back uh, you know ten or so years ago, and the reason why I read it first is because I had I'd heard tell of this story, and <laughs> no, but it's just it's just one of those things that you know even going into like the introduction or one of the afterwards and the greatest Superman stories ever told. They're like the the miraculous turn, return of Jonathan Kent. I'm like, well, what's that all about? So when I, especially when I was going through and buying all these issues, uh, you know, I, I made sure that these were a couple of the first that I would look for, and thankfully I found them in a nice little lot. So right away, I was like predestined to like this story. the we, The weakness of the story is not really a weakness; is that it has to have a villain, because really. You know, these two issues that we're going to be covering over the next couple of episodes, it's all about Jonathan Kent coming back. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the story. The villain is kind of the MacGuffin of the piece. Uh, but the fact that in the second issue, Bates is able to tie both together actually speaks more volumes for him as a writer. And this was around the time period I think that he was really hitting his stride as the oh. like the main Superman writer. Uh, because, you know, Magan would come and go, Pascal would come and go, Bates always, you know, seemed to stay, and especially he gets on action, and he's pretty much on action for a good while until he heads over to Superman. Yeah, and then he's there just about to the end. So, I think I, I love the interplay between Lana and Clark. Uh, we're, we haven't quite caught up to Pasco's stuff that was going on around the same time where, you know, Superman shuts her down hard, so she's going to figure out what she's going to do with her <laughs> life. And But, you know, she's doing the love thing, the LUV, which bothers the crap out of me. But I love this whole setup to actually getting to Jonathan. Because, Clark, you know that magic's afoot here, or something weird is going on, because he keeps going on about how, ah, I should go on patrol, but, wow, Lana wants to go to dinner. So I better go to dinner. And the whole, yeah, and the whole thing with with seeing Jonathan art wise, you know, Shermonte is is not Kurt Swan's best inker, but no. I really like the fact that the flashbacks are in kind of pencil. 
Mm-hmm. Like they're inked, but they they also have that kind of old timey feel to it. Uh, on page five, the the old man looks like Walter Cronkite and Jimmy Doohan had a kid, and <laughs> and that's who that is. So, you know, I was kind of thinking, I was like, God, he looks familiar. <laughs> he does look like Scotty, yeah. old Scotty. Oh yeah, older Scotty. Uh, yeah. And, and and Starshine, it, it, it's such a god that name, but Starshine, he goes from asking for spare chains to giving give me all of your valuables. Now that's not being not so nice. That's going from pleasantly asking for something to larceny. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what happens when you get ticked. So the rest of the issue is basically trying to figure out what's going on. You know. Superman knows something's amiss, and the mystery of that plays out really nicely, but then we have to go deal with this whole Starshine thing. And and, and though, to be fair, the lettering, like on page uh, 10, when he goes, please, is actually kind of weird, but kind of cool <laughs> at the same time. Page 11, we got something we don't normally see in comics of this time period. People, the, the language that the sailors are speaking is actually written in the language instead of having it in parentheses. Yes. So annoying, but still kind of cool. I like that. So yes. and not only that, but because it's Chinese, it's written in the uh, the characters. Yeah. Yes, the characters instead of just being written in English, but to look Japanese or whatever. So by far one of the coolest couple of pages, pages 14 and 15, when Clark goes to Smallville and finds the letters April 7th, 1975. But Superman looks doesn't look any cooler in this issue than he does on page 15 when he lands in front of his father. And there's just something about two muggers mugging Jonathan Kent. Of all people <laughs> that you're going <laughs> to stick up in the city of Metropolis you're going to pick Superman's adoptive father. <laughs> they couldn't have not, they couldn't have not, yes, they couldn't have had worse luck. Yeah, it's just like, we're, we're going to go to Gotham, and there's this little old lady that hangs out by Crime Alley named Dr. Tompkins. We're going to go knock her over. <laughs> She'll be easy. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's such an emotional story, and that's why I like these two issues. Uh, uh, you know, both of them, I think, hit all of the right notes of Superman actually coming to grips with the fact that his father's back. He doesn't know how it's happened, but it, but he doesn't care at the end of the issue. He's just happy to see his dad again. And what I liked about this is, especially in the Silver Age, uh, but also in the Bronze Age, the adult Superman didn't really focus... I mean, he would get to that point like later, like later in the 70s and into the 80s, where he would start thinking about Jonathan and Martha a lot more. But mostly when he was adult, it was all about Jor-El and, and, and his real father. And, and that makes sense because, you know, you had the monthly Superboy stories and they were alive and Jonathan and Martha were alive and well. So it's not like they were forgotten or that, you know writers weren't dealing with them. It's just, you never really saw the adult Superman talking about them until later in the decade. So it's nice for him to get, to see a little focus on that where he's thinking about pa and that it just, it just really grabbed me. 
And I, I just think, you know, it's a, if we didn't have to deal with the starshine thing, I think it would have been perfect, but we had to have this dirty hippie. I mean, seriously, <laughs> a beret and a poncho and you're like, you got like a stubbly face. Let me, let me see your slam book and your poetry and we'll all sit yeah. in the corner and, 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 and snap our fingers when you're done with your diatribe on a blueberry bush you saw once. It's not all that I hate this some... guy. It's that I hate this guy. <laughs> all he's missing is some linen glasses. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't have it because he's got bell bottoms. Is he wearing shoes? Mm-hmm. Sandals. Oh, well, there you go. And he probably mm-hmm. smells like patchouli oil. Oh, I can only imagine what he must smell like. Ugh. <laughs> This is just like great. Why don't you bring out your guitar and sing some of the songs you made up in high school to get chicks? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Kumbaya. No, I guess this kind of proves that Superman is not. Uh, well, the next issue kind of proves that Superman is not over thirty. Interesting. Yep. Uh, let's see, what was it? I think there was a, one of those Superboy issues. They they explained that they um, try to keep Superman at about twenty nine. And then to keep him that way, they had they had his birthday at February 29th, so he wouldn't age. Oh, that was another thing. The, uh, the this uh, book came out four days before my fourth and first birthday. <laughs> fourth and first, yes. Since I, I ah, since I too, 1980 was a leap year. Yeah, it was yes. a leap year. Yes, uh, we were living in Endicott, New York, and. Uh, I, you just said February 25th. I was like, I don't remember it, but I know I was alive. So, <laughs> yes, you were uh, you were born on the same day that the Superman version of Superman from Superman 300 landed on Earth. Yes, though somehow they say that's his birthday. Not yeah, quite well. sure how that works. But also on the day uh, that a Superman convention was going on in New York City, big convention with Jerry Siegel and oh, Jerry really? Siegel. yeah. They're, wow. they're, so it's like it was faded. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. And I started out life as a Batman fan, so yeah, we'll, we'll just kind of ignore that. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> no, but I like I liked them like, a little I, bit. Too. I, I liked it a lot. Yes, this this is a really fun issue. This one and the next one, of course, are really fun issues. The first time I got to see it in color was pretty cool. The it's weird because I'm noticing as I'm looking through this on the first few pages when you see Lana's dress, you don't notice it as much on the first page because it actually looks like a, like she's got some kind of scarf or some weird tie thing because it's the early 80s, late 70s. So you can't tell what the heck the fashion is. But on some of these later images, the the way the little tie part of it is drawn, it looks like cleavage that they just colored over. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, like oh oh nope, you're absolutely right window. that looks terrible yeah. <laughs> especially on page three it looks like because you know for the fashion for that time it would be perfectly normal for it to be a cleavage window you know that that could have been of all people Jeanette Kahn yeah because Jeanette Kahn uh, had a serious uh, like especially with like Power Girl and stuff like that she was ultimately if I'm remembering the story correctly she is why Black Canary got her Jazzercise outfit in the 80s because that was better <laughs> to somebody <laughs> yes 
Yes, I'm sure somebody. Uh, the one we're talking about the one with the big sh- uh, shoulder pad things and the headband, right? And the fuzzy boots. Wasn't it fuzzy yep. boots? Yeah, that, that was kind of no. fuzzy. Yeah. <sighs> Anywho, uh, but yeah, basically, like Mike said, this is just fun. The, the first of all. It's cool to be as lost as Clark, or later on Superman, is as far as how Jonathan Kent could possibly be alive. Because there's nothing on here that says it's an imaginary story. There's nothing to indicate that Clark is on another Earth, because he was literally just doing the news. And Lana knows that Lana is acting like this is the real Jonathan Kent. This guy has aged. Uh, even though Clark remembers the funeral and everything, and then to have the extra mystery later on is just wow. And like you, I could have done without the Starshine guy. I, I think I don't I don't know if you could have stretched it out for two issues, but I think this would have been a cool story just having Jonathan and trying to figure out how Jonathan came back. Yeah, and then enjoying some time with Jonathan as an adult. And yeah, I, I don't know. This was this one always grabbed me. Maybe it was because it's one of the later ones. I don't know, but I just have always had an affinity for this story, and to see to finally be able to talk about it and to cover it here is really cool. The only other problem I have is that it's almost like this is supposed to be some lesson about how it's not always good to say please. Now, I wasn't, well, I guess I was a kid the first time I read this, so I just kind of thought, you know, even as a kid, I didn't like Starshine. Uh, <laughs> when I read this, it was like, I, I don't I don't care about this hippie guy. I mean, hey, it's cool. I'm reading a comic so old, it's got hippies in it. But, I, I, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, even reading it this time for the, the these episodes, it's just the, it's the part that I don't care as much about. And it's just like, okay, yeah, this is some super feats, but it's taking away from time from the main story. And that's all I'm really caring about. Uh, page 11, when you point out the way that they talk, I'm surprised they don't do anything to, uh, and actually page 12, I'm surprised there's nothing to, like even a caption box to say that uh, this is what they're actually saying or anything. They just put it there and... I guess you're supposed to assume that those are real and that those are actually making up proper words. Because for all we know, this could be cussing. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd have no idea. I think the only thing that's wrong with it is that in order for it to be accurate, I think they'd have to be like up and down instead of, instead of the way it's written. I don't know. I don't know Chinese much. Um, but yeah. Uh I think the the cool part, like you did say, though, is he Superman never figures this out. And it's kind of a spoiler for next episode and the next issue, but Superman never figures it out. He never finds out how Jonathan came back. He just, once all the evidence is in front of him and there's not anything else, I mean, there's no way to prove that he's dead other than his memory. All you can do is just accept it. And that's part of Superman because of his optimism, I guess you could say. Batman would never let that go. 
he would have to figure out what's going... Well, let me put it this way. Post-crisis Batman would have to figure out why Jonathan was back. Or if this was... For him, it would probably be like Thomas Wayne. He would have to figure out why Thomas is back. But Superman just... Once he gets all the evidence in front of him and sees letters from after he was supposed to have died, he just accepts it and enjoys it. And that's cool. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, that it's just, like I said, he, he's never really gotten to experience this. So he can't, it, it's like, some's not right here. I, I don't quite know what's going on, but Hey, my dad's here. So let's, let's just, mm-hmm. you know, let's have some fun. It's like, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm just going to accept it. <laughs> and, Dad, I'm glad to see you. And on that last page, his cape looks weird, but it does look like it's got that thing in it that we were talking about from the cover from the power, uh, Super Powers toy. On page, what is that? That's <laughs> the one without a page number on it. 17. The one uh, third panel. Oh yeah, that, that definitely yeah. that does have that kind of plastic thing in the back. Mm-hmm. And and it looks I don't know something's off about it. it. Almost looks like it's supposed to like he's got it on sideways or something. I don't know how to explain it. That but that is all. This is also the image they use for the uh, to advertise for this issue in the uh, the Daily Planet uh, bit that they put at the back of issues. Uh, that's the image they use for the advertisement to try to get people to go check out the latest issue of Action Comics where Jonathan Kent returns. So, if we're done with our notes, we're going to go one more time for some promos, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the ads and see what else was going on in the DC multiverse at this time. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hi, this is Professor Allen. And when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guy Show on iTunes, or come visit us at bookguys.ca. Hey guys, Charlie here to talk to you about our sponsor for this episode. Now, you smell that? That's the holidays, folks. We're already in Hanukkah. Christmas is just around the corner. What would be a better gift than some graphic novels? And what better place to get graphic novels than In Stock Trades? In Stock Trades has a wide selection of all the graphic novels you could possibly want to read at greatly discounted prices. So make sure you check them out at InStockTrades.com. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. 
Okay, back with the ads. Inside front cover is an ad that Mike mentioned earlier. Two dollars. So. It's an entire army. <laughs> yes, with two tanks. <laughs> They're not life size, but two. Ta- and it's that's a, it's an actual retail value of three dollars and thirty-seven cents. <laughs> so wow. you're saving a buck thirty-seven. I know. Woo. And, and you get paratroopers. No, this is some of the stuff you can. Some of the other stuff you could buy. I'm sorry. There's a full color catalog. Wow. It's all in green. Armored cars. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. See, I'm like you, and and I guess it's maybe because you know we're we're definitely children of the '80s, and we had things like GI Joe and Transformers and stuff like that. And yeah, they had they had Mego figures and they had GI Joe, you know, like the bigger GI Joes in here. But really, if you were going to play Army, this this was kind of what you were stuck with, almost, mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they didn't have, like, you know, the dolls were huge, the vehicles were expensive. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that if I was 10 years older that I would have wanted a $6 million man action figure, like something fierce. Oh, yes, and look through his eye. Oh, yes. And all that. But basically, this uh, this is something that went on for, like, generations of kids. So, it's just, and when it got to our generation, we were just like, meh, we got G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, these they still sell these things because of the fact that they had the army men in the in Toy Story. And so little kids like them these days because of the fact that At they were that in Toy Story. At least that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... I guess, and, and and it's not like those other toys that we had were, I mean, by today's standards, they weren't super articulate either. No, I mean, He Man was stuck with his arm with both of his arms at a ninety degree angle for the most part. Uh, Superman, he could fly, but he couldn't turn his head, so he's always looking down at the ground. Uh, Transformers were more than likely bricks and they only had articulation because they had to transform uh let's not even go into ratchet and hounds first oh they didn't even look right yeah yes yes so yeah but so so and and gi joe's i think they they did have what elbows and knees and that was it and and you could, and but you that, could like, like my favorite thing to do was to position them into like a sidekick because you could, if you balanced them just right, you could get them to stay in that mm-hmm. position. But good luck putting a gun in that hand. Yeah, because if you forced it, that thumb is broken, and then you are SOL. And then he's not holding anything. Yeah, so, and these guys, you couldn't even do that. They're stuck. Like this one guy looks like he's stuck, about to throw a grenade. A um, couple of them are are crawling a couple of them are sneaking one guy just looks like he's performing stop in the name of love um yeah it you know all all props to the kids from the older generations that played with these things and had the imagination for it but it's just like uh, i was about to say you know in their head it was probably a lot more epic oh yeah well yeah (laughs) when this is all you got (laughs) uh but moving right along into the issue, this is right around page four. We have a bubble yum ad. Yes. New, soft, and juicy. And all the flavors, wild cherry, and the rest I can't read. Cause and sugarless. Print sucks. Oh, yes. Five great flavors that blows big, beautiful bubbles. They did. It was very mm-hmm. true. 
Uh, next up, we have an ad. Now, I'm going to admit that I haven't pulled out my actual copy of this, so I'm looking at a digital version, and this has a ginormous ad for sea monkeys. Yes. Now, sea monkeys, I've mentioned this on the show before, they they started these ads, I want to say, ju- even judging by the art, I think in the 40s or 50s, and they just kept reusing the same darn ad all the way into the 80s. All they changed was the price, and at this point, it's a buck twenty-five. Yes, for brine shrimp. Pretty much. And they don't look anything like they do in the ad. In fact, it says... These cartoons are imaginative and does not do not represent actual sea monkeys. So they do not the the, the female one does not have a bow in her hair. Uh, and I want my money the, back. They, <laughs> I know that's a jip, man. I was I was I was imagining anthropomorphic sea life, and you have not given <laughs> that to me, sir. So you will be hearing from my attorney. <laughs> But the family in the background looks like they're from the 50s. The mom's got her pearls on. Because when you're going to be looking at your sea monkeys in a fishbowl, you want to make sure you're dressed. Well, th- th- really this nice. is th- that's the Waynes right before they went to see the movie. You know, the- <laughs> oh, with the sister we didn't know about. Yeah, well, <laughs> they don't talk about her. <laughs> She's a, She joined the Court of Owls. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, next is an ad we'll probably, we're going to come back to. Yes. Uh, but, uh, so I'll mention that when we get there. Next is an ad. Is this a digest? This is a digest. Yes. Now, apparently 10 plus 4 plus 132 plus 95 are numbers that add up to the year's best buy in comics. This is a DC Blue Ribbon Digest. I'm sorry, best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest. The top 10 stories of 1979 plus the best the four best covers of the year with 132 pages costing you just 95 cents and this is an I think this is another Andrew Giordano cover and boy is this an all-star cover yeah it's got uh, everybody for a DC comics book yes uh even even some of the like scalp hunter and Jonah Hex and is that Lynn uh, mean by demon I mean that's kind of looks like Lynn <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? No, that's the guy from the House of Mystery or the other so one. So that's Kane. Yeah, or Abel. I don't remember. No, Abel was which the chunky guy. Okay, then yes, that's Kane, or or as played by Lynn Wein, I guess. But uh, yeah, the, the Wonder Twins are in the back, so I'm guessing there's got to be a Super Friends story in there somewhere. Uh, Black Canary in her good costume. Warlord, is that War- Warlord's in there? Aquaman and Green Arrow are in the back. Enemy is that Enemy Ace or Flying? What the heck's his name? Yeah, Enemy Ace, isn't it? I'm uh, looking over the cover uh, right now. He's being his face is mostly covered by Elongated Man. That's possible. Who's trying to who's trying to look down the front of Wonder Woman's costume? <laughs> that's, what, that's what Hal's whispering to Barry. Yeah, check out what Ralph's doing. Uh, let's see, and then of course. And if that isn't enough, don't dare miss the classic adventures of Flash and his friends. Which actually looks like a, an image that might have been drawn by Carmine Infantino. It's a beautiful shot of the Golden Age, the Silver Age, Kid Flash, Elongated Man in his purple outfit, and uh, Green Lantern. Yes. And, and this small, it doesn't look bad. I can't. I wonder if it lo- still looks this good big, because... Like I said, it looks like a Carmine Infantino uh, image. 
And this would, if it's a new image, this would be in his straight edge era. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> moving right along, we have a fruit stripe gum ad with a nice maze and some question and answers. Uh, we won't go into those because I'm sure those are as corny as I would imagine they are. Uh, yes, but you could have as much fun in Fruit Stripe land as you do chewing Fruit Stripe gum. Right. Uh, the next pe- uh, ad page is... Wait, wait, wait. If I'm having as much oh, fun oh. as chewing Fruit Stripe gums, that means I'm going to take like three steps and then get bored. Because that gum <laughs> lost flavor like 30 seconds after you started it, chewing it. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you, you put the gum in your mouth, you start the maze, and you see how, fa- how far you can go before you run out of the flavor. I guess that's how it works. <sighs> Probably not all the way through, <laughs> from the sound of it. I want to say that they updated this horse for ads when we got older, but I can't remember. And in the 90s, he had like sunglasses, yes. and he was rapping. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh, yes, and he had the... He had the belts and pouches like and he was skateboarding pads. and then snowboarding because he was extreme oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and then he's broke yeah. his legs so they shot him <laughs> wow that took a dark turn a dark turn a dark turn anyway yes <laughs> uh next page uh we have two half page ads the top half is for grit and if you want to hear some good stuff about grit listen to um John and Lily Wilson talk about it on their uh, Avengers podcast because they love making fun of the grid ads. And then the bottom half is an ad for one of my all-time favorite comics from 1980. The three-issue Untold Legend of the Batman. So awesome. And it's the image lifted. I believe it's from issue one. Basically is the issue where he says... Uh, right after the, he tells you about the fact that when the bat broke through the window, he decided he would become a bat, and so was born the Batman. And this is a, a John Byrne Batman on a the roof of a building, inked by Jim Aparo. There's the moon in the background with a couple of bats flying through. The cape is all blown up because of the wind, and he's just standing there ready to leap. That is classic Batman. And 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 for the longest time, this was my, um, in not in, in initiation, my my origin for Batman, because, like I think you've said on your show, uh, basically, when I found it, it was in the one of those uh, pocket-sized books yes. at one of the libraries, at a public library. So it was all black and white, and. I, it, it was like this. I, by this point, we had moved. I had not been able to find comics at the at any library since we had moved away from Laurel, which is where I had read the Superman 30s to the 80s. So when I found this, I got this as often as possible. I love this book. And then I found some. I found actual issues, and then I lost the third one. So I have to find the third one again sometimes. But I have the first two issues, and this is a three-issue collector series. On sale April 24th, May 22nd, and June 26th. And the amount of research they put into this book. It's amazing. And if you want to hear some great coverage of it, listen, you can hear Mike and I believe Shag? Scott Gardner. And I did a Scott Back to the Binge. Scott is what I meant to say. Yes. Oh, was it Back to I'm sorry. I was thinking it was a Fuse. 
yes, back to the bins special uh, special episode with the Untold Legend of the Batman, where they cover all three issues in one shot. And, and the that, book on tape version. That's right. I didn't even know they had book. I didn't know they had book on tape for Man of Steel until I was in Metropolis this summer. I and then you them. said, yes, I have them all. <laughs> and I was like, of course you do, Mike. And I recently digitized <laughs> them, so now I can listen Ooh. to those crappy, crappy... <laughs> I mean, this is nothing against Power Records, because Power Records was actually kind of cool. Power Records is like, you know, graphic audio compared to... <laughs> To to uh, to what what the the job? I mean, I have the Superman has the range of a Daisy air rifle. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's awesome! Uh, with the compass and the stock and the thing which tells time. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yes. Uh, by the way, if uh, it's not, you can find them. At your co- local comic shops and probably other places through other means that we won't get into, but I highly recommend, and I would imagine that Mike does too, that if you can find a way to read this three-issue series, do so because it's awesome. Uh, if for no other reason than to see early John Byrne Batman and John Byrne inked by Jim Aparo, yes, that they are a good team together. I didn't even know Jim Aparo inked anyone besides himself, but it he did it worked really good on Burn. It was weird. Um, anyway, moving right along, we have a hodgepodge. At, well, it's not really hodgepodge. It's just well, technically, super gifts and gimmicks. It's a bunch of the uh, stuff you can buy that's supposed to fool your friends for the most part. There's foaming sugar, the red hot pepper gum, the snapping chewing gum. The no-tear sugar, which actually would be kind of fun to do. Uh, but this is where you have the two-headed nickel, yeah. two-tailed nickel. Ha- learn how to learn learn how to hypnotize, oh, hypnocoin, and I can't put the sound effect in there because I don't have it, but bzz, bzz, um, and all that stuff. The next page is a full-page house ad. You don't know what you're missing until you've read Jonah Hex and Scalp... Well, I'm sorry, Weird Western Tales starring... Scalp Hunter. You know, every every you know, I've been going through a lot of old books recently, and it, all of them seem to have Scalp Hunter and Jonah Hex ads, and they all just look awesome. They all just look like mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the greatest stories ever told. And I've got I'm a DC guy, and I know very little about kind of their other genres, but besides superheroes, so. I've got kind of a soft spot for those, even though I, I don't know a whole lot about them, just because I like the fact that DC does have, like, a collection of Western heroes. And then a question, you know, and, and Marvel does, too, to a certain extent, but it seemed like the DC ones were just a little bit cooler. You know, you had Jonah Hex and Scalp Hunter and uh, who else? You had uh, El Diablo, Batlash, Johnny Thunder. Just awesome. And of course, if you want to hear about Jonah Hex, man, I'm promoting all sorts of people's podcasts. Uh, Scott Gardner, well, used to do Jonah Hex. Was it uh, Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke? And he, I don't, he did a few episodes. 
It's worth checking out. It's good. I never read a Jonah Hex episode, uh, issue, but I did listen to that because it was really good. He really likes Jonah Hex, and you can tell the way he talks about him. But I got to tell you, between the two of these issues, the Jonah Hex one looks really pretty. Yes. And I don't mean just because of the girl and not much clothing. But, yeah. I, I, I wonder if they look this good in, when you actually pick up the issue. That'd be cool. I'll have to find those one of these days. Uh, next ad page, moving right along, is... Bubble, oh man, more bubble gum. Hubba bubble bubble Hubba gum. Bubba. Big bubbles, no troubles. And this kind of shows you how to, uh, it's gum fighting. Yes, I said gum fighting. Uh, basically, it tells you how to do, first of all, it explains the fact that they have the amazing no-stick bubbles. You can blow the bubble, it can pop on your face, and you can wipe it off with a rag and waste the... No, no, that's not a rag. That's just the motion of the hand moving. And it'll apparently just make your fingers pink. I don't know. But, yeah, you can just not have a problem. You can also look like an idiot and keep your elbow at a 93-degree angle, knees slightly bent forward, feet planted firmly on the ground. Uh, Hubba Bubba Bubble should be facing the opponent. The gum fighter's hat is optional. And, yeah. Yes, I'm sure you know battles like this were happening on schoolyards across the <laughs> across the land. Kids getting into sweeping the nation, getting into hubba bubba gum fighter. I mean, just the lives lost for such a <laughs> sad and pathetic sport. It just makes me sad. <sighs> and then the poor guy that looks like Sandman with the bag on his head. <laughs> so sad. Uh, the next ad page ad is another full-page house ad. A new deadly challenge for the Legion of Superheroes. How can one man, Dagon the Avenger, Dagon, uh, hold the Legion in terror? Appearing from nowhere, this fearful menace threatens the Legion as no other foe has ever before. What is his incredible power? Well, according to somebody, one of the Legionnaires... I don't know who she is. Uh, apparently, the a answers are all in this issue on sale February 28th. It's a date. And whoa, it's issue whoa, whoa. Let's, let's, let's not. Yeah, come on. Let's not get <laughs> crazy here. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I'll go to coffee with the Legion. I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to go on a date. Uh, he got me. I apologize. On the plus side, it's really cool because this one girl that's talking at the bottom of the, of the image, she's also flying in at the top of the image. She is that awesome. Is that light last? Yes. I think that's light last. It could be. I don't, I, I'm unfortunately not up on my Legion. I, I see, what's that? Uh, Lightning Lad, Wildfire, not Wildfire. Is it Wildfire? Wildfire. Um, Dawnstar... Okay, who is that invisible kid? Um, uh, you got Tire Rock. Uh, the, the, don't ask me to explain Tire Rock because it's like Burgadoon meets racism. Uh, Lightning Lad, <laughs> Wildfire, Dream Girl, Light Lass, and Dawnstar at the top. Okay, there you go. And then they also on the, the cover. <laughs> I know that's what I was thinking too. It's like there you go. Uh, the next one is a hodgepodge ad. The top, uh, the top three quarters of it is the stuff for. If you want an exhaustive index of Superman's adventures from the 1970s, 52 pages worth. Send four dollars to this guy in Winna, 
Wenatchee, Washington. I have that. Really? I have something like that. I have like this 1980 Superman like uh, index, and it it ha- it covers all like the. Let me get that. I have it right here. Think about this. Sorry that I'm making editing for you. Oh, I don't know. I might not edit it. Hey, there's my invaders, my DC planet thing, Earth to Invaders, drop dead. Woohoo! Invasion! No, it's not there. Uh, but I needed to find that anyway, so when I looked, this was all, <laughs> this was all meant to be. I think I have it in the other room. No, I bought this at Metropolis back in like 2008. If it's Ooh. the same thing, but it's this really cool. It, it's typed up. It's like an index of all the Superman in action issues. And it's got a, a couple articles on it. It's got a cool black and white cover. I'll have to scan that for the fortress. Ooh, does it tell you what happens in them or like, like a little yeah, like like brief? Or... Wow, that's cool. Awesome. Well, <laughs> there you go, folks. An ad from the from 1980, and Mike has the actual thing. And he didn't even have to talk to this Dean Ball guy. No, I just had Dean to... Ball. If you're listening, thank you. Just had to travel six hours away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we won't talk about that part. You know, it's just halfway across the country. Um, but they had Golden State Comics, which I believe might actually still be alive. Uh, comic collecting, mini helicopters, an Atlas body, high school diploma, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Yes. And then the bottom quarter of it ha- tells you that DC Comics has some TV shows. There's the Super Friends. There's, I think that's the New Adventures of Batman and Robin. Yeah, the Filmation like series that. with Adam West, uh, Burt Ward, Ward. Batmite. Yes. And Batgirl. Don't forget Batgirl. I don't know who was voicing her, but it was not uh, uh, the girl from the show. Let's let's just get this straight, folks. Batmite was cool exactly one time, and that was on the Brave and the Bold cartoon from a couple years ago. <laughs> and that was just the he only showed up in like three episodes, yep, like two or three. Have you made it? Have you made it all the way through that series? I made it through the first season. Oh, it gets better. The final episode will make you cry. Yes, the final episode is not on Netflix. Thank you very much, Netflix. Oh, it star it stops the last episode of not Netflix. It's the first part of the Starro uh, two parter. First part? Yes. They don't have the second part. They don't have the second part. Uh, it just stops. Gosh. Well, I've I've got everything but the final DVD set, and now they're getting ready to put them out on Blu-ray. And I'm kind of ticked because I would prefer Blu-ray, but oh well. So you've seen the 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 song, the singing. Oh yeah, one. the Music Meister. I love that one. That's hilarious. Everyone but Batman sings. And even he gets good stuff at the end. Oh yes, but you're not supposed to hear. <laughs> and of course, Plastic Man had a cartoon. Yes, with Baby Plaz. Oh my gosh. And an opening narrated by um, Apache Chief, which is really cool. I mean, you don't see him, but it sounds like him. Uh, the next Enough page junk. is a full... <laughs> <laughs> it's the Plastic Man Comedy Hour. Anyway, the uh, next page is a full-page ad for subscriptions to the, DC, uh, to the Superman books. Superman, Action, and DC Comics Presents. And it's a nice image of Superman drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. 
And I used to think that this was super boy because it looks very super boyish also. It's hard to tell. But if you buy any of these magazines at the newsstand, you will pay $4 for 10 issues. If you subscribe through DC Comics, you will pay $4 for 10 or I'm sorry, for 12 issues. It's like getting two issues free. Actually, it's exactly getting two issues free. It's not like it. It is. It's an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> Superman, Superman's using a simile here when really he's just speaking fact. You're going, Superman. But yes. <laughs> you fail. Well, he's still recovering from the whole my dad's back alive again. So, yeah. But and those are tiny little... Uh, Cover actual covers of Superman action and DC Comics presents in those boxes. They're just so small it's hard to tell which ones they are. And I could have looked it up, but I decided not to because I didn't think about it until now. Uh, but let's see. Well, then it's not really an ad. It's a crossword puzzle. The DC feature page. Really need to make a photocopy of this so I could do the crossword. That would be cool. I think one. You have the Krypton Chronicles, right? Uh, yes. Okay. There's one that they actually reprint in there. My wife did it. <laughs> uh, in, in the letters column, so. there is a letter from Tamsin O'Flynn, and she would actually go on to write uh, for Superman. She would write some stories in Superman Family and in the Daring New Adventures of Supergirl. That's, didn't she? Yeah, didn't she write uh, like some Lois Lane yes. stuff? Yes. And also Barbara Long, who was a very well-known letter writer, repeat letter writer. Didn't isn't she the one that met married like Al Schroeder the third Maple or something? Or Al Schroeder the third is the one I meant to say. I believe you're absolutely yes. right. Yes, the man responsible for the master mesmerizer of Metropolis. <sighs> try not to hold anyway. that against him. Yeah, not too much. He's a fan. He tried, sort of. Uh, the DC feature page, like we were actually we had already mentioned. Uh, Mike's going to copy this, but it's a crossword puzzle. Uh, not just Superman related because it talks about Robot Man and the Doom Patrol and Captain Marvel. And then there's some question and answer with the Answer Man. <laughs> My favorite. If Robin is in the Super Friends, is he also in the Justice League? No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no. Ah. And we have the giant ad for 204-piece Revolutionary War Soldier set. Which I can't imagine is is much better than the army men thing we saw at the beginning of the issue, except this is two ninety eight. You get a lot more. Yes, you get thirty six dragoons, which apparently are cavalrymen. Twelve shooting infantrymen. Twelve marching infantrymen. Twelve crouching infantrymen. Twelve fifers. Michelle and others. Uh, twelve charging infantrymen. Twelve sharpshooters. Twelve field cannons. 12 cannon leader, loaders, sorry, it looked like leaders, 12 drummers, 12 Minutemen, 24 Mohawk Indians, which you can only say back then because you couldn't do that now, 12 officers, and 12 some kind of troops. Nissan, Messiah, I can't read it. But I, it, it's funny that they Hessian. apparently only men work the Hessian. That's, I, that's what I would have thought too. In mine, you can't tell, but I'm going to go with that. Hessian troops. And I like how the, the things uh, where you're supposed to cut it out because it's a comic book and put your name, address, and stuff to have the stuff delivered to you. It says, gentlemen, 
here's my $2.98. Because no women worked at Lucky Products. That's kind of sad. Uh, inside back cover is a earn famous name prizes or a dollar in box cash. Or a dollar a box. What? Anyway, yeah. This is where you got to sell stuff and you get prizes. Like cameras, backpacks, race car sets, um, hair dryer. Cause, yeah. And then the back cover is your favorite and my football player, O.J. Simpson. The juice says, show them your heels when he's not stabbing them with a knife. Um, sorry. Yes. Spot built cleats. And you get um, a two by three poster showing your favorite spot built pro. I'm guessing that's supposed to be OJ. Yes. Yeah. To be fair, though, he was an okay guy as far as anyone knew back then. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> looking at the other comics, looks like Batman's taking on Catwoman in Batman number 323. That's hot. Shadow of the Cat with a Dick Giordano cover. It looks really nice, actually. She's, oh, that's still in her days of wearing the skirt and the thigh-high boot. Not thigh-high, knee-high boots. And a cape. To answer your question from before, that uh, picture of the Flash, the Flashes, and Kid Flash and Green Lantern is actually Ross Andrew because it's the cover to the DC oh, Special Blue Ribbon Digest number two. Oh yes, I see it, and it looks it looks really good. It looked like Carmine Infantino in that tiny one, but I apologize. I never said I was awesome, and it's the Flash, so I don't know the artist. I'm sorry, but it does look beautiful. And they're running right at you, right out of the cover. And like you said, uh, Elongated Man's got his purple costume with the mask. Somehow, and I don't know how, I read, I got my hands on this this DC Comics Presents when I was a little kid. I don't know how it happened. I just remember reading it because that cover stands out for me. Superman and the Elongated Man. Oh, cool. And he's in the fortress, and I, mean, I can see why it would stand out. And for some reason, Elongated Man has gotten all wrapped up around the statues of Jarrell and Lara. Because Lara is hot. The, uh, yes, and that skirt gets shorter every time they show her. In the 40s, it went down to the floor. Yeah. In the 50s, it went down to the floor. By the time you were getting into the 70s, it was a little higher. And this one looks like... If she moves, you're going to see more than she bargained for. <laughs> Flash number 285 is an awesome issue. It's the first, like, F Barry Allen getting on with his life after resolving the death of his wife issue. It, it's, it's excellent. I love this era of the Flash. It's, it's really solid. And Don Heck on the art, is that any good? I Not as bad as you would think. Oh, okay, cool. I know he's kind of up and down sometimes. Looks like Trickster's in this one, too. Yes. Let's see. And Justice League, the chess master of Mars. Looks like Martian Manhunter comes back. Woohoo! And he's playing chess with... Sparrow. Yes. Because Desparo really likes chess. Desparo is the beginning. Desparo is the end. Speaking of the end, apparently his, his next appearance is Crisis on Infinite Earths number 10. 
So, yeah, they don't use him much, apparently. It's kind of sad. This is before he got all huge. He's still kind of uh, normal-looking, but with a giant fin on his head. Yes, I don't know how you could even go normal-looking when there's a giant fin well, involved. But. <laughs> okay, okay, let me... <laughs> normal proportions on the rest of his body, let me put it that way. Okay. Yeah. It's got a Jim Starlin cover. It looks really cool. Uh, let's see what else we got. Superman number 347, which I will always remember because it's my first time of reading a Superman comic drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Thank you. Who also does the cover, which uh, is also reprinted. The cover itself is also reprinted in uh, Superman Gallery. Yep. Mm-hmm. First place I ever saw that. And he's dealing with an alien that with uh, f- furry boots, which is interesting. Uh, it's actually a pretty good story. I'll have to cover that one of these days too. Uh, let's see. And it, oh, speaking of which, it's not. It doesn't say it here, but um, did you notice that since the last time we recorded, they have added uh, Superman from the 30s to the 80s to the DC database on here? Yes, and it's like he heard us. <laughs> I know. It's like you haven't even put the episodes out yet, but somehow he found out. <laughs> you got to be careful. There was a strange here. disturbance in the forest. <laughs> Uh, Superman Family number 201, and I have covered 200, so you know that was an all-imaginary story issue of the future. Uh, but this features uh, Supergirl. Actually, this is a pretty cover, too. Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano did this one, too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Jimmy needs some clothes on, but other than that, it's really cool. Uh, Supergirl deals with the face on Cloud 9. Jimmy Olsen's a hang glider. Uh, Clark is a magician. Lois is a human torpedo, and Mr. and Mrs. Superman feed uh, the enigma of the empty elevator. Empty elevators have always perplexed me as well. I don't know about you, but... What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when I see an empty elevator, I'm like, good, I don't have to stand with anybody. Not, yeah. What is going on here? No. <laughs> no awkward conversation or something like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, Wonder Woman number 267 uh, features the amazing Animal Man versus Wonder Woman, which is pretty cool because Animal Man didn't show up too much. No, this, before. this wasn't exactly his uh, finest, uh, the most prolific time period of being in the DC Universe. No. no, until Grant Morrison got his hands on him, you didn't see much of uh, Animal Man much. So it was really cool. Nice art, too. Again, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. He, he's almost like one of the definitive artists of the period. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. I'd say, uh, like, right before uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, be his, praise be his name, thank you, uh, came in and kind of started doing all the licensed art and kind of took over that title, I would say he's probably, uh, the Andrew Giordano team is probably the art team Excuse me, for DC. Uh, let's see. Adventure Comics number 471 has two stories. One is Plastic Man, straight from TV, and Starman, and not not the Golden Age one, not Jack Knight, not the one created by, I can't think of his name right now, but not the one created by Roger Stern and Tom Lyle. Will Payton. And, thank you, that's the one. And not the one from the future. This is an alien Starman. Prince Gavin. Exactly. 
And he's dealing with some kind of weird alien creature. Jim Starlin did some covers. Oh, I don't like this one as much. Looks like they're going up... Oh, wow. I'm looking and it's like, wow, this guy Plastic Man's going up against looks like a guy with a brick face. And it turns out he's called Brickface. How about that? Go figure. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, Brave and the Bold number 162 has Batman teaming up with Sergeant Rock. Which looks awesome. Yes, it does. And obviously it's... I'm thinking this has to be Earth 2 because Batman does not have the yellow oval around the bat symbol. That would make sense. Yeah. Jim Aparo didn't draw that Batman too often, but when he did, he looked really cool. Because Jim Aparo always draws an awesome Batman. Even in his later years, at least his Batman still looked cool. Uh, Detective Comics number 490. It looks like Batman's going up against the Sensei. Sensei? As well as uh, Rachel Ghoul and Talia. Plus, Robin and Batgirl and Black Lightning have their own backup features, plus Tales of Gotham City. This is when Detective Comics was still a dollar book. It's actually another cool cover by Andrew and Giordano. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see, moving right along. I didn't realize how often uh, Rachel Gould makes return appearances after some of the 70s stuff. It seemed like you hardly ever heard about them afterwards, but I haven't read most of the stuff after the early 70s, so it kind of still surprises me. Uh, let's see. Green Lantern number twen- twen- 128. The Green That Got Away. Looks like it's uh, Green Lantern and Sinestro. Yep. Looks like Sinestro. That's pretty cool. And they even have good portion of the Oath written on there. It's, it's actually a really cool cover. This one's by... Dick Giordano by himself. With an interesting signature. Can you see the signature on there? No. Under Hal Jordan, Hal Jordan's word balloon, it's got a D and a Q, and they both look like they're basically written the same. They just flipped. It's kind of cool. He usually signs Giordano, but this one's a very late 70, early 80 kind of look to it. It's kind of cool. Anyway. Uh, Legion of Superheroes 263 is the Day of Judgment, which is the cover, which is the one we talked about just a little bit ago from the house ad. So it looks really cool. Uh, Superboy number, New Adventures of Superboy number five, which we're going to talk about next time a little bit more. But Superboy has having to deal with the secret of the superpower failures, and this cover defies all all known laws of physics. Because by merely holding up his cape, somehow Superboy is able to uh, deflect some kind of beam. Which should be physically impossible because it should cause the cape to just kind of fluff up or something. And, yeah, move out of the way. But it holds its place and knocks it back and destroys a tree. But it is cool Kirk Schaffenberger art, so... I'll give it that. Uh, super, super Friends go up against Scarecrow. That's kind of cool. It's a good yeah. cover. Yeah, I like it. It's, uh, it's, it's a Kurt Schaffenberger cover again. Yeah, he's he's not my favorite when it comes to drawing Batman or Robin. No. They look a little weird. And to be fair, I think uh, he's just he's better as a Superboy artist as rather a Superman artist. 
Yeah, I think like like what I had when I mentioned it on the uh, for that ad, his Superman still kind of looks like Superboy. Yeah, it's he he was really good with Supergirl too. I have to say, yes, early seventies, late sixties, very nice. And that's really it for the superhero stuff for this month. So uh, let's do. Oh yeah, we gotta do this part. Uh, so uh, next up. Superman's other pal, J. David Weider, will continue his look at Clark's college years with Superman, The Secret Years, Issue 3. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who, even as an infant, demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who, as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome to the penultimate edition of Superboy in the Bronze Age as we cover Superman The Secret Years number 3, inching us ever closer to the boy becoming the man. This issue is a doozy, folks, from the same creative team, Bob Brzezak is writing, and the Kurtz providing art. That's Swan and Schaffenberger, guys. That's pure Superman. The story in this, the April 1985 issue, is called Terminus, and the story begins with Superboy writing entries into his diary and then subsequently tearing the pages out or burning them. Or both. Each entry attempt begins with him telling himself that there was nothing else he could do. It was the only way to do what he did. Frustrated, Superboy flies away from Metropolis and he thinks back to the last few days, beginning with a memory of giving Billy a signal whistle to help Superboy stop more crimes and disasters. It works kind of like a dog whistle, only Superboy can hear it. And somewhere Lex Luthor and Superman 4 must have read this issue. And then Clark's old buddy Pete Ross comes to visit. You know, the guy that actually knows that Clark is Superman. And this allows some funny hijinks with both Billy and Pete knowing Clark's secret, but Billy doesn't know that Pete knows, Pete doesn't know Billy knows, Clark doesn't know that Pete knows, and Mr. Furley thinks it's all nuts. Then Janet and Chrissy say something funny. Meanwhile, a bit later, Lori Lamaris tells Clark that they have to stop seeing each other. She's going to return to her homeland. She also reveals that she knows he's Superboy, but Clark wants to know how she can know this and why they have to stop seeing each other. So he snoops on her, Superman Returns style. He sees that instead of a bed, Lori has a saltwater tank, and she seems to be using a radio transmitter to share secrets with her unnamed homeland. Depressed at what he found, Clark lays around moping and tells Billy to get lost when Billy tries to be a friend and talk. In fact, when Billy summons Clark with the whistle to try and talk some sense into the 20-something of steel, Clark threatens to crush the whistle if Billy doesn't use it for true emergencies. Superboy returns to Lori to confront her and reveals that he knows Lori's secret. She's a mermaid. Huh? But their reunion is short-lived as the state dam bursts and most of the valley will be washed away, so Lori and Superboy team up to save the valley and then Lori tearfully leaves Superboy behind after one final kiss. Later, another water-based danger looms as a tsunami threatens to destroy the resort island of Pandango, and when Superboy flies out to save the many, he hears Billy's whistle. Using his telescopic vision as he battles the crushing waves, Superboy sees that Billy is trapped in a burning building with no hope of getting out without Superboy. Billy remains trapped as Superboy saves the island from the wave by lifting the whole thing into the air. He lifts the whole thing in the air, an island. And when that danger is finally over, the Teen of Steel rushes to his friend's aid. But it's too late. Billy has succumbed to the smoke inhalation and passed away. Distraught, Superboy's mind returns to the present and decides that since he couldn't save Billy or Ducky or his parents, being Superboy isn't worth it, so he flies away, ready to quit. And that is where the issue ends, so let's let's take a look. I mean... This is definitely a solemn issue. Billy ended up playing out a lot differently than most of us probably expected. I mean, truthfully, when he arrived on the scene, 
And when Clark revealed his secret, I expected a betrayal, maybe the birth of a new villain. After all, Lex and Superboy started out as friends, and this story had the trappings of that tale. But no, it was a more painful lesson for our fledgling hero, and one that he won't forget. Coupled with the retrofitted tale of Laurie Lamaris, this issue worked on a much more ambitious and focused level than the previous two issues. Rizakis was on a mission, and it was a mission with a laser precision point. Superboy must fail, and he must realize that he cannot save everyone. It's a hard lesson to learn, and it has to be personal in a way that Ducky wasn't. The loss of Superboy's parents was one thing. That's kind of part of growing older. It's part of the natural evolution of things. Our elders leave us, we take their place. But a contemporary? And one that Superboy couldn't save despite his abilities, because he was otherwise engaged. That stings. Billy is also a character that harkens back to Smallville, so that has a piece of Superboy's past in a tangible form. Even in this big city, with this new life, Superboy is constantly plagued by his perceived failures as Smallville's hero. It's very, very heavy stuff for a Superboy tale, and it was wisely set up prior to this third issue. I say that because a lot of the pieces were already in place, allowing this issue to play out the way it did on such a singular focus, when the previous two issues were jam-packed and kind of all over the place. I will say that it came off very odd to see the Kurtz doing art on such a dark Superboy story. And yes, it's dark in tone and somewhat dark in content, definitely solemn. But the Kurtz keep it sort of paradoxically grounded uh, in a Silver Age look. And that touch is what makes it really resonate with the reader. Contrast that with the gritty Frank Miller cover of Superman collapsed in front of a crumpled bus he just prevented from hitting two innocents. You kind of have a mind boggle of an issue. In many ways, this sort of unintentionally capped off this issue as a piece of great work all the way around. It's a heavy story, wrapped in innocent art, so we're kind of familiar with it, with a warning sign of the intent on the cover. The fact that all of this included content from an actual Silver Age comic just gave the story the perfect oomph to make it the most solid punch in the gut fans could have received. Ultimately, now we have a Superboy who has discovered a weakness that is stronger than Kryptonite, and next week in our final installment... We shall see how Superman begins and Superboy ends. Until then, I am J. David Weeder. Thank you all for listening. All right, thanks, Dave. And thanks, Michael, for coming onto the show. Why don't you tell the fine folks some of the places you can go, keeping in mind that we still have to record another episode <laughs> tonight? Well, they can uh, they can go to www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. That's my main podcast uh, solo show where I do... Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have nice people like, you know, Charlie Niemeyer here. Come on and talk about awesome comic books, mostly superheroes, though I am not adverse to other uh, genres and such because super comic books are not a genre, as Luke Giaconetti and Professor Allen and Emily recently discussed. I also do From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the Superman homepage and the Fortress of Bailey Tude, which is my Superman blog. There, Jeffrey, da- Jeffrey David. <laughs> really? Jeffrey David. Wow. Jeffrey, that's what it stands for. <laughs> Jeffrey Taylor and oh. I are covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman much like what Charlie does here, except we're going chronological. We have just gotten into, as of this recording, Bizarro's World, so we're hip-deep in 1994. Uh, and you can find that at either the Superman homepage or at Fortress of Bailitude or at the Superman Podcast Network. I'm also part of the Two True Freaks Network. I'm on Comics Monthly Monday. And you can also hear back issues, back issue-sodes of Tales of the JSA, and I guest host on shows every once in a while, too, just like this one. 
Yay! Wow. Now, if you want, I can just copy and paste that to the next one. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff to have to say. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, um, well, once again, thank you, Mike, for coming on. And thank you all for listening. And make sure you come back next week. Yes, next week. For the conclusion of the story, we will see you then. So long, bye. So long, guys. Yes. So long, guys. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.